here recording. I'll go to my other anchor channel. And uh, let's see. All right. And this one. I didn't see how long it was, so. Episode, so already got this one going, and we're recording on all systems. So here we go. There are certain lines that need to be crossed before a country can declare war against another. One of those is violations of territorial integrity, violations of sovereignty. We have U.S. officials warning now that quote. I would not describe the violation of U.S. sovereignty in this incident, speaking of the recent incursion and violations to uh, territorial integrity by the spying operations or balloons as an accusation, they continue. I would describe it as a statement of fact. You see, this is where we enter into a very dangerous area of modern war lines. These lines and descriptions, the reason that you keep hearing the term sovereignty and the term territorial integrity over and over again isn't for you to hear. It's for the governments of opposition countries to hear. Because it's written into the war doctrine of all major governments that violations to those two areas are grounds for escalating immediate military conflict. In short, by America declaring a purposeful breach by a foreign military power into America's sovereign territory, the U.S. military is, quote, legally able to, in some cases, forcefully compelled to react with a escalation of force. The presence of balloons in U.S. airspace is a clear violation of U.S. sovereignty, says a senior military official. They want you to believe that things aren't as bad as you know in your heart that they are. They want you to believe that people around you are not suffering. Because if word gets out between the schlubs, then they might act together. They might form a revolution. Even as the Federal Reserve is working openly right now to make more people unemployed, we have suffering here in the USA. I want you to recall this recent article from Texas. People took food from dumpsters at an HEB in Southeast Austin. They're warned by government officials not to eat it. It happened at a grocery store located at East William Cannon in the I-35. Travis County Constable has said that over 200 people showed up on Thursday fighting for food after someone posted that it was being thrown away. But that food is not free. It's garbage. Even though it might look okay, they say it's not safe to eat. The corporation warned in a statement that the power went out of the store. They couldn't keep the food at the proper temperatures, and so by corporate law, they had to dispose of it. They also didn't say why they couldn't donate it. In a full statement, they warned, due to a sustained powder, uh, power outage, the store was unable to keep certain perishable foods at proper temperatures. To adhere to strict food quality and safety standards, we, HEB, are required to dispose of certain perishable foods when they are not properly temperature controlled. 
This also prevents us from donating the items to food pantries and food banks, they later said. It is a large, when they went to back up and talk about how they are such large donors and they try to help people in need. That's bullshit. But let me tell you, you're hearing it all correct. People have been so desperate that they have rushed over others, pushed people down, fighting, hit, slapped, and yanked at their fellow brothers and sisters to grab food from a dumpster. This is a dystopian world. They risk making yourself sick with spoiled meat. So bad so that the authorities have to say they shouldn't do it. But they want you to think that everything's just okay. In other news, the CIA director Burns is warning that China's recent warning to the U.S. military that it must, uh, excuse me, China has recently warned its military that the Chinese government is preparing for war. It's a clear red flag, they say, to the American government. And the CIA director has said that our military needs to be prepared if things get quickly out of hand. Going back to how bad the economy is, U.S. credit card debt is now $930 billion, up 18% from one year ago. The average interest rate on that debt is 20%. But they want you to think that no recession or depression is here. With credit card debt hitting an all-time high and the personal savings rate at an all-time low, we are just now beginning to see the depression that we have been warning about. Whether it's shopping for a new car or buying eggs in the grocery store, reports say that consumers are continuing to be impacted in both ways large and small. They say inflation and interest rate hikes that have been implemented by the Federal Reserve, according to Michael Renari, the vice president of U.S. research at the consulting firm for TransUnion, the credit agency, has said basically this is just the beginning. Delinquencies, people who aren't paying their debt off, is rising as lenders expand their access to lower quality, they call them, credit users. TransUnion defines a delinquency as a payment that's over 60 days overdue. The increase in delinquencies is something to watch, Renari says. As long as unemployment stays down, households are better, better able to pay their bills. But when unemployment goes up like the Federal Reserve wants it to, then you see a spike in delinquencies. That indicates a long-term disaster. What's the answer from the credit industry? They say openly in a quote, take on a side hustle, sell the stuff you don't need, cut your expenses, as if that great explosion of the idea goes off in the mind of the consumer and they say, you know what, you're right. Maybe I should take on that fifth job. Maybe I should sell my shoes. Maybe I should cut out, you know, eating. They say a dollar saved is a dollar earned. These aren't my words. These are the rich guys, the wealthy. I don't even want to call them rich because I think you can be rich without being a total a-hole, right? I'm not against anybody being wealthy. They might have made great decisions. What I am wholly against and will never backtrack on it, never backpedal on it, no matter how much I get shamed by people in the comments, I am wholly against corruption and legal slavery. Legal slavery to me is a entire economic system where a person cannot get by at the bare minimum by working 40 hours a week. You should be able to work 40 hours a week, which is one third of your life anywhere and be able to at least survive. But what's their answer? 
take on a side hustle, sell the stuff you don't need. Remember, this is their quote, cut out your expenses. They know that they're at the end of this game, but instead of saying, let's just cut and run, they're going to bleed the entire beast for all they can. Warning once again that this conflict is turning into a nuclear one. The deputy chairman of the Russian National Security Council has said that attacking Crimea by NATO, by Ukraine, by the USA would mean attacking Russia. And that will escalate this conflict to known nuclear reactions. In response to the general acceptance that NATO and America as a whole are at war with Russia, Anne-Claire Legendre, spokesperson for the French Foreign Ministry, is rebuking the Russian government saying that the supply of weapons to a state that conducts self-defense is provided for by Article 51 of the UN Security Charter. In other news, the Israeli Navy is currently modifying its operational doctrine to prepare for larger sets of war. They say it's to counter a growing Iranian threat at sea. The Navy recently adjusted its deployment in the Red Sea and the Mediterranean as Tehran and its allies build stronger naval capabilities. Israel has worked hard to increase the presence of its own warships, its own submarines in the Red Sea. The IDF is training in the Persian Gulf to prepare for growing threats there. Israel also, as you know, participated, because we reported on it, in several recent U.S.-led naval drills in the past year with a strong focus on the Red Sea theater for war. The IDF deployed warships, they deployed their own elite naval teams, they're practicing rapid responses, various contingencies, and getting ready for a nuclear conflict. Moving forward, there's no end in sight. Reports show that the average price of a new car in the United States of America has risen a full 40% in the last three years. January of 2020, that same car was 33,500. January of this year, it's 47,500. Even the dealership lots, even the people who provide economic data to dealerships say this is wholly unsustainable. Here's another warning once again from the Russian, former Russian president. This is Dmitry Medvedev. He says that the supply of more advanced U.S. weapons to Ukraine will trigger more retaliatory strikes from Russia up to the extent of Russia's nuclear doctrine. All of Ukraine that remains under Kiev's rule will burn. The journalist Madonna Fredrickson quoted him as saying in a written interview with her. In a recent argument over the Russian conflict, Medvedev is quoted as saying the following. The result will be just the opposite. He replied in comments posted on whether this would, uh, you know, kind of like tamper things down. He continues, only moral freaks, of which there are enough, both in the White House and in the U.S. Capitol, can argue like that. That is to say that the U.S. supply of weapons to Ukraine is war. He says, we don't set ourselves any limits. And depending on the nature of the threats, we, as in Russia, are ready to use all types of weapons, including nuclear, in accordance with our doctrinal documents, including, he says, the fundamentals of nuclear deterrence. I, he continues, can assure you that the answer will be quick, tough, and convincing. 
Russia's nuclear doctrine, as we have noted here, allows for a nuclear strike after something that is seen as aggression against the Russian Federation with even conventional weapons. They say any time that the existence of Russia is threatened, they can go to nuclear war. There's a reason right now that nuclear bunkers are being built all across Russia. They're being built all across Europe. They're being built some places in South America. Where they are not being built should bring warning to you. When is the last time that you saw nuclear bunkers being advertised as a good thing in the United States of America by the nuclear uh, by the U.S. government? When's the last time that you saw the U.S. government warning you in some sort of total or whole agreement that it was a good idea to prepare for nuclear fallout. They're not. Instead, you are nothing more but a pawn to them. You are nothing more than a cog in their machine. And the fact of the matter is, if you break as a cog, they've got many to replace you with. That's our system right now, and it is bad. And so they keep their data up because they have to as a corporation, as a government, and so you can find it on sites like ready.gov. You can find it on uh, different state sites, how the states prepare. Instead, you have to watch what they do rather than what they say to do. And what they are doing is they are buying up massive amounts of, of uh, KI4U. They are buying massive amounts of bullets. They are buying massive amounts of caskets in many recent uh, body bags in many recent purchase reports. They're buying these things in preparedness for eventualities. But what they're not doing is telling you to get ready. You see, if enough people were told to get ready inside of America, enough people would stand up and they'd say, wait a second, what you are doing, speaking to the politicians in the office, is wrong. And it's going to drive us to have to fall back on our bunkers, fall back on our traps. But they don't want that. They want you to continue thinking about how many different songs were sung at the, uh, at the Super Bowl. They don't want you to even remember that the entire purpose of the Super Bowl is the bread and circus that Rome talked about, keeping the people distracted from reality. You see, you can get people to do whatever you want them to do as long as you give them enough bread and circus. That is to say, keep their stomachs somewhat full and give them some form of entertainment. The Super Bowl provides all of that. But they want you to think about all those things in a constant, never-ending, revolving cycle of consumerism and brain alteration. Instead, we should be thinking about how bad things are and how bad leadership is making it. Speaking of leadership, the commanding leadership in the United Nations is warning that every single UN country needs to take a stand. They must act right now. They say there's a growing concern that further escalation in the Russian and Ukrainian conflict will make it so that the entire world, or at least the wider world, is headed for war. This is a quote. We have started 2023 staring down the barrel of a confluence of challenges unlike any in our lifetimes. Diplomats were told in a recent verbal warning as the UN leaders noted that some of the world's best, the leading security experts in the Western governments have moved, as you know, the doomsday clock to just 90 seconds to midnight. It now signals the closest it has ever been 
signaling a annihilation of humanity. You may have heard some of these words, but I want you to listen to them again closely because they are not a warning. They are a foretelling. We need to wake up and get to work, he implored. The prospects for peace diminish. The chances of further escalation and bloodshed keep growing, he said. I fear the world is not sleepwalking into a wider war. I fear it is doing so with its eyes wide open. He referenced other threats to peace. The Israeli-Palestine is really a Iran problem. Conflicts in Afghanistan, Myanmar, Haiti. If every country fulfilled its obligations under the UN Charter, he says the right to peace would be guaranteed. That's the Secretary General, repeating a call for radical transformations in global finance. He says something is fundamentally wrong with our economic and financial system. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not slapping these guys on the back, patting them on the back, because they're the ones who stand to gain the most. They control everything at the top. They're just letting you know, hey, we pulled you guys. It's kind of like the uh, U.S. government and governments around the world saying, hey, we had it right on the ready.gov site. We never tell anybody to go to. And right there, it said you needed 72 hours, two weeks worth of food. You need your own first aid. You need to prepare for when 911 doesn't work. They don't ever tell you those things. But after the fact, they'll have some bought and paid for news reporter say this information was always available. And so here's the Secretary General coming out, speaking as though he was a schlub, just like you and me, saying something is fundamentally wrong with our economic and financial system. He blamed it for the increase in poverty, the increase in hunger, the gap between the rich and the poor, the burdens that are being seen around the world. Without fundamental reforms, the richest countries and individuals will continue to pile up wealth. It's like he's looking in the mirror. He says everyone else will be looking for crumbs in their communities. Sounds like what a lot of people in America are being forced to do now. I hope that you and your family are getting ready because soon you'll be like the people in Texas rushing over others, trampling other human beings just to get to the dumpster to get some spoiled food. We live in a dystopia. The best thing that we can do is get ready to make it a better place for our family in the future. From my family to yours, please stay safe and keep watch. Check back with us here tomorrow for more updates on what's happening around the world. Make sure you check out contingencymedical.com. Use the code FSS10 for a discount there on real antibiotics. You can also check out nutrientsrevival.com forward slash FSS. Use the code FSS15 for a 15% discount on uh, long-term food storage. So when you have your food and everything all planned out, your pantry is full, you can get some stuff that can go in the car and you can run with it quick. I don't get any commission. Please, everyone, stay safe. Get about that old cop out like everybody else doing it. So what's the big deal? Y'all were, were pedos, y'all were demons, y'all were evil, which you did to black people. And black folk need to continue to talk about everything that you have done to black people. The world should know what you've done. Now, I say as early as the 1830s, black abolitionists, Maria Stewart called for the law to recognize black women as full humans with rights to control their bodies and to grant or withhold consent. But reality lagged far behind. Say two, in Missouri in 1855, a young enslaved 
black woman named Celia was convicted of deletion and hung from a tree for for deleting a white man. They say who had enslaved and repeatedly violated her. The court rejected her self-defense claim, concluding that enslaved black women had no right to resist white slave owners' uh, advances. This is the history of America, ladies and gentlemen, that they had free reign. Do you know when you do the DNA test and then you see when you have uh, uh, somewhere from 12 to some people up to 20% of double blood? Yes, I say double blood because that blood didn't get in by consensual relationships and marriage and things like that. That blood that got into us as black Americans and our DNA came from the violation of black women. That's where it came from. Now, thank God that, that the African genes are still stronger. And it's going, of course, there's more African genes there. But a lot of us have demon blood in us. And that's why I call it. And this is why some of you got the tendencies to act like them. Because that blood is in you, unfortunately. Not by choice. They say the white supremacists were determined to maintain the economic exploitation and political dominance they had enjoyed during slavery. And the white supremacists refused to relinquish their freedom to violate black women with impunity. And say, even before the Civil War's end, Southern state legislators say, implemented laws providing different um, protections say, to white women and black women. They say the Georgia Code of 1861 specified a mandatory sentencing range for violating a white woman, but let courts decide whether and how to punish violations of black women. Black women, the white woman has never been your friend. She's still not your friend today. Some of you complaining like, oh, see, we, we, they say we together, but look how they go both. They both completely against us. They never been on your side. They, because why did they say that back then? And even white women own slaves too. In the book, they were her property. Read it. Let's say indifferent and complicit law enforcement officers undermine federal attempts to protect black women. As in October 1866, a Freeman's Bureau agent delivered arrest warrants with two white supremacists accused of beating a black woman named Sylvie Solia and say and deleting her son. And say, but the local Louisiana sheriff refused to arrest them. And so then some in Louisiana Bureau records reveal an even more devastating story. A Captain N.B. Blanton. I'm saying, a Sparta reports, Cuff Canara, Friedman, and Dan Docking, a white supremacist, had a quarrel because Docking had twice committed a violation on a Friedman's wife. Now, they used to call us Friedman. We wouldn't call black, we was called Friedman at that point, okay? So you get into a fight about this man violating this brother's wife. So Kanara stated to the agent of the bureau, he was tracked by hounds for 10 miles and fired on by the white supremacists. And Docking, Norman Docking, and Don Palmer shot in the left side of his back. And, say, and finally, he didn't say, reached the agent having um, deleted three out of four dogs. And well, that brother was tough, wasn't he? They say warrants issued to for the arrest of the parties, but they have not been found. And from statement of people, does not think they will be arrested. They say the people appearing to think the freedman had committed the greater crime by deleting the dogs than the man who shot him. 
Y'all, these people have never changed. Look at how they act today about a dog. Look at how they act today about a dog. They will cry, they will lose their mind about a dog. But then, when something happened to you, they can care less. They shrug their shoulders about that. So the dogs are trying to harm this man. He defends himself against the dog. And they're more concerned about the three dogs than these white supremacists that chase, chase, chase him down because he tried to defend his wife that was violated by this white supremacist. This is American history, folks. This is what they don't these Republicans don't want you to know. They don't want you to know this stuff. But let's continue. Scholar Estelle Friedman writes, he said that uh, the white supremacist deepened the association of violation as an act committed by a black man against a white woman. Now, now listen to this. And this is what they always done. They've always projected who they are on us. Black men wasn't riding around in, in packs of black men running around violating white women. They were not doing that. It was the white supremacists doing this to black women. Constantly doing this to black women. All the way up, even in the times of the civil rights movement. In that time period, too. They have always been deviants demons to black people. But when we tell these stories about what they have done, you know, like they try to tell you black people today, you're the racist. Oh, you're the real racist. Remember, they run around violating black women all day long, but they're going to say, well, violation is when a black man can do it. But when they do it, it's, it's no big deal. Now, during Reconstruction, it's a and presume that black women either welcome forced violations with white supremacists or had no moral purity to defend. Now, this is the same thing they try to keep on black women today. And unfortunately, black women perpetuate that stereotype they try to keep on black women. The Megan the Stallions hurt black women's image. The Cardi B's hurt black women's image. All, all the, the, the things that's being done today, all the surgeries, it hurts. It keeps up the same thing from slavery. They say the same white supremacists who professed a fanatical concern for white women's purity and safety held tightly to the social and legal view of black women as promiscuous, lacking virtue, and without the right to refuse the lust of any white supremacist. They say this particular narrative of racial difference shielded white men from shame and consequence when they employed violation as yet another means of terrorizing black communities during Reconstruction. It's in 1868, after a white Virginia judge was accused of violating a black woman, he tried the case himself, jailed the woman overnight, and forced her husband to pay court fees. Y'all, oh boy. But this is, the, the, but, but, you see how great these people were? Oh, they so great people, weren't they? God, they were great people. They're so great, they don't want you to learn the history of what they've done to black folks. Black people all over the world. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be so honest with you. I, I couldn't have lived during that time. I couldn't, I, no, I couldn't have done it. Because the first chance I had to go, go back to Africa, I would have did it. Or at least came to Mexico. Because in Mexico, they weren't doing it to you. I couldn't stay in here. I couldn't do it. No. No, no, no. Why do our people stay here to be enduring that? Why we want the first thing we could 
to get out of here. This is unreal. Now, say in June 1866, also in Virginia, a black woman named Peggy Rich reported that a white supremacist named Dane Smith had violated her. He attacked Miss Rich again after he was released on bail and was later acquitted of both charges. This is the history of the white supremacists. In, in September 1866, a black woman named Rhoda Ann Childs reported to the Freedmen's Bureau that eight white supremacists had come to her Georgia home demanding to see her husband. When they learned Mrs. Childs was alone, the men kidnapped, beat, and violated her. It said, Mrs. Childs' affidavit describes that one of the men ran his pistol into me and said he had a hell of a mind to pull the trigger, and several of the men restrained her while one applied the strap to her private parts until fatigued into stopping, and I was more dead than alive. Said another of the men, a former Confederate soldier, violated Mrs. Childs. The mob arrived her home and beat her daughters. This is, man, I'll tell you, this is some sick stuff, man. This is some sick stuff. You put this stuff in a movie, you're like, man, what am I watching? They say in 1871, Harriet Simrill testified before a joint congressional committee that three white supremacists had violated her in Columbia, South Carolina. And after her husband refused to vote for the white supremacist ticket, in a courageous statement that said the federal lawmakers, Ms. Simrill, that said named her attackers and described their brutality. This is what she said they did to her. Listen, they said they're spitting in my face and throwing dirt in my eyes. And after that, they dragged me out into the big road and they violated her out there. And said the details of the attack were deemed too obscene for inclusion in the committee's published volumes to say for the defiant uh, courage as Ms. Simrill and so many other black women exhibited in reporting such attacks standing as a direct evidence of the uh, violating terror. They say black women, they say suffer. They say they're a reconstruction and their determination to survive. Black women endured a lot. Let me tell you something. No other woman in America has endured that. The white woman haven't endured it. The Asians haven't endured it. Any other immigrants that come into this country, when you speak, when you speak on black people, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know our history. You don't know what we have to do to even survive as a people. Even black women, even being sane today, it's, it's just, it's a testament what they had to go through. But the Republican governors don't want you to know what we talked about here today. And I said this in the most cleanest language I could. I didn't use no curse words. Didn't use no anything like that. I will say this, because I know it probably still going to get dinged anyway. Support this particular video. You can support this video, of course, subscribing. Um, leave a super chat. You can do a super thanks to support. Like I said, I'm putting this out here so you can know the history. So you can know. Because these people do not want the history out here whatsoever. This is the black history that we all need to know. What happened to our people? in the United States of America, people throughout the world as well. You need to know. Because when we talk about reparations, we talk about what we went through, these people are, are trying to play a game. They're not going to promote this sort of thing. So let me know what y'all think about, you know, what happened here. And this is one of many stories, one of many things that's happened to black people. 
And we're going to start trying, going down this road of telling what really happened to the community. These people have this one. When I tell you, even to this day, they're doing the same thing. Nothing has changed. These people have no moral compass to be leading anything. I've said that. Because if they had a moral compass, they'll pay reparations. They'll give land back. They'll do all the things that they, they can to make things right. And they're not trying to do so.